0: everyone and welcome to the thrilling adventures of superman a podcast where superman still stands for truth justice and the american way this is episode 68 and i am michael bradley this time out we will be looking at superman number 6 which contains four brand new superman stories and like other episodes where there's been Multiple stories to cover, I've got a special guest with me, so before I go any further, I want to introduce this episode's special guest co-host, Mr. Josh Bertoni.
1: Hello, everybody. um, it's very thrilling to be on the thrilling adventures of Superman. <laughs> did you say sixty eight episodes sixty eight yep wow <laughs> um, wait way to keep it going when did what year did you start?
0: I started in January of two thousand eleven
1: Mhm. You must be um very 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 wait, January 2000. Okay, got it. So you just, must be just
0: about a year and a half.
1: So you you must be going at almost a weekly rate then, if not weekly.
0: I have had I haven't had an episode every week, but the weeks I've missed, I ended up making up because there was a month at the towards the end of last year where I went uh biweekly, I had two episodes a week and I made up all the last the lost episodes. So I have had The the amount of weeks the show has gone, I have had that many episodes.
1: Okay. And uh, taking 68 episodes to get all the way to Superman number six, that must have been uh, a road right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, like on the Batman show, I just do one story per episode. And with Superman, action comics, two kinds of newspaper strips, and the radio show, it takes a while. But we're getting our way through it.
1: Well, you Way, way to cover the stuff and stick through it. Yeah.
0: Uh, but I'm sure Josh is a familiar voice to a lot of you because he has hosted or co-hosted or guested on a number of podcasts, both past and present. But you really don't venture into the Superman universe very much, do you?
1: Um, I've ventured in as a fan uh, before, but let's see. Like, I've never hosted um, or been a regular guest host on a Superman podcast. I did guest star on From Crisis to Crisis once, but it wasn't when they were covering Superman. It was for their... <laughs> April Fool's episode, uh, From Marriage to Mephisto, right. which, uh, there's actually a lot of funny behind-the-scenes stories about that episode, so, you know, if you fans want to know them, <laughs> come check us out on Facebook sometime, and maybe we'll share them with you. <laughs> actually, it, it, it's really a lot of funny behind-the-scenes stuff for that recording, but, uh, as a super... I have been a Superman fan, um, I mean, he's not my favorite, my favorite, like Bibbo, but... I read the, a lot of the comics when I was younger and I've, you know, I I've, I've followed him uh, throughout the years and I've listened to a lot of the podcasts, but I've never exactly gotten involved in a Superman show. But I'd say um in terms of familiarity with the character, I'd probably give myself a uh, C plus, B minus on a on a scale from Joe Average to Michael Bailey. <laughs>
0: Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and how you got into comics originally?
1: Well, I like long walks on the beach. I'm a good listener. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, caring and compassionate. Caring and compassionate, yes. I have to be in my line of work. Um, I work in childcare, actually. Yeah. But you probably. <laughs> I don't know how much you edit, but you can edit that hacking out if you want. <laughs> Or, or you can leave it in so that the audience can, you know, smile and laugh at the caring and compassionate guy hacking along out.
0: <laughs> it gets flavor.
1: Um, okay. Well, I got into comics because I guess, you know, the, that that's what people want to hear about. They don't want to hear about, you know, my troubled childhood and my rise to stardom in the, you know, in the steel factory industry. Right. Uh, I got into comics watching uh, the Fox Kids uh, superhero adaptation animated series. So I read the comics and was very surprised to see all the deviations because, hey, I thought that these stuff were, like, straight-up adaptations.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so what, whatever was on at the time, and uh, eventually Kids WB started doing this stuff, too. They had the Superman animated series. I'd follow those, and I'd read the comics, and I just um, – devoured them because I was not allowed to have cable TV as a child or own video games. so all that time was spent reading comics and I remember my mom taking me to a garage sale where uh, this guy had a long box of 200 comics that she got for me and I remember at the time I was like wow 200 comics that's a lot I'm, I'm never going to read these all <laughs> and, and and it was like very very assorted stuff like stuff that I still haven't read like there's like Firestorm stuff in there and there was assorted of Superman stuff. There was the original issues of uh, that Alan Moore story, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Oh wow! Yeah, like, like yeah, stuff going from like the seventies through uh, the mid nineties because I guess that was the mid nineties at that point. Um, I started podcasting. In the year 2004, my first show, Bertone, Beetle, Bonanza, because I'm a big Beatles freak. That's my other big fandom. Um, And I listened to comic book podcasts. Um, Crawl Space was one of the early ones that I really got into. And I was like, man, I love comics. I'd love to break into this podcasting world. And uh, the first comic book podcast that I was on was the Batman Universe, which is run by a guy named Dustin, who um (sighs) – No offense to uh, Michael Bailey, because Michael Bailey is a very close second. But I would call Dustin the hardest working man in podcasting. <laughs> oh my! <clears throat> Dustin is magic. He can pull stuff out of his ear, like, like literally. Like when we go to conventions, they roll up the carpet for him. He gets these interviews that, like, you you wouldn't believe, like how he got these contacts. And from there, I started hanging out with, you know, other comic book podcasters and broke into stuff like uh, Clone Soccer Chronicles with uh, Zach Joyner, a Spider-Man Crawl Space, and that introduced me to the rest of the gang. And uh, when I started Amazing Spider-Man Classics with – I say I started. It wasn't my idea. But when I started Amazing Spider-Man Classics with John Wilson and Donovan Morgan Grant, I guess that's, you know, in the seedy underbelly podcasting world, you know – Got us involved in other stuff and guest starring on other shows uh made us quote unquote no names uh I really don't know uh where else to go from there i mean i I've been on a lot of shows that are both you know in various states of uh production and uh long hiatuses Marvel Star wars I'm looking at you. I wouldn't blame it myself
0: <laughs> I, I actually just recently downloaded all your Marvel Star Wars episodes, and as soon as I get caught up on some of the other podcasts I listen to I'm going to burn through those really quick because I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it I've never been much of a Star Wars fan outside of the, the original trilogy of movies but um, I, I sometimes listen to podcasts uh, of stuff that I'm not quite a fan of because I like hearing other people talk about it and,
1: and learning more about it that way well um, then I have, t- I have I have time to put the other episodes in production then while you're right. catching up Yeah, maybe I'll have one out and then and the time it'll take you <laughs>
0: Um, I I know you said Superman isn't among your uh, very most favorite characters, but this is a question I ask people whenever they come on the show. What is your favorite Superman story?
1: Hmm. That is a good question. It's hard for me to pick a favorite of anything. Uh, Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, um, and and just to clarify one of your statements, um, he's Superman isn't my favorite, but he's definitely in probably my top three or four of oh, okay. you know comic, of comic book characters and franchises. Like, okay. I mean, and I've had a long relationship with the character. I mean, I watched Smallville all ten years, even through the whole witches storyline, which everyone hates. but I kind I liked it. Okay. It, it, it was it was hot girls doing hot things. It's you know come on. <laughs> no, it, it, it was ridiculous though. And I no. watched
0: all ten years too, so I, I can't be throwing stones at that. But.
1: Yeah. Quick aside, worst episode of Smallville ever. Um, that one from the final season that was a complete hangover ripoff. What the heck?
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of uh, felt like they had a an extra episode to fill, and they didn't quite know what to do with. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, favorite superman story my gosh i don't know i did not come prepared with that question i mean there's superman runs that i like i mean um when i was about 19 or 20 i read the complete run of superman's girlfriend lois lane and boy did i have a ball with that oh yeah i did have a superman project that i guess i forgot to mention um Years ago, there was a comic book community called Scans Daily on Live Journal. They're still around today, but um, they never survived when really they regained their popularity to the extent they used to have after Live Journal deleted their archive. But I was reading the Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane series, and I decided as I was reading, it, I would track the amount of times that Lois got either engaged or like married or had a wedding in the story. And that, with, that, and with that was he, you? You read those?
0: I was an occasional visitor to that community, and I remember seeing some of those posts i didn't I don't think I read all of them, but I, I did read a few of them. Yeah, I didn't know that was that was before I started podcasting and before I met you, so I didn't know that was you. That's interesting.
1: Well how about that? we have uh, we have a reccon first meeting <laughs> you know. Well, well well done universe. So 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 that that was fun. I mean, I guess those are my I don't know if I would call those my favorite stories, but they're definitely fun stories to read because yeah. for a favorite story, you'd put, you know, you'd probably have to pick something, you know, really dynamic like, oh, you know, uh um Exile or Death and Return of Superman. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I guess I really don't have a, a absolute favorite story. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to cop out that question. Hopefully I'm not the first guest to cop out. We'll just, uh, I, we'll
0: just say a random issue of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane.
1: The issue of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, I don't have the issue number in front of me where uh, Superman disguises as Satan and has Lois <laughs> make a deal with him to like get married <laughs> to him and – it's uh that that was my avatar on Crawl Space and on Live Journal for the longest time. Super like <laughs> Lois Lane like telling Superman off at the wedding, like, I know that you were Satan all along <laughs> <laughs>
2: In January 1937, President Franklin Roosevelt realized the world faced the greatest threat it has ever known, so he sent out a message.
3: Get me Ace Kilroy!
2: Soldier of fortune and all-around adventurer Ace Kilroy set off on his first mission, to head to Transylvania and stop the Nazis from turning Count Dracula and his vampire slaves into pawns of the Third Reich. in Transylvania, Ace Kilroy learned that vampires are real and narrowly escaped danger and death at every turn. Ace had to form an uneasy partnership with the Prince of Darkness in order to stop the Nazis' plan. And while they were successful, it ended with Ace swearing that someday he will find Dracula again and wipe him off the face of the earth. Ace has now returned to America for a well-deserved vacation, but he won't get to rest up for long. FDR has given him a new assignment, this time involving Frankenstein's monster. Ace Kilroy, the online daily comic strip, was launched on Halloween night in 2011 and has featured a new black-and-white strip every day with an extra-large color supplement on Sundays. The co-creation of writer-artists Rob Kelly and Dan O'Connor, Ace Kilroy quickly gained notoriety and rave reviews from such critics as The Onion A.V. Club, Robot 6, and Geekadelphia. With Ace about to head off on another dangerous mission, he needs your help. Via Kickstarter, pledge a donation to the Ace Kilroy fundraising campaign and help ensure Ace can continue in his fight against evil. There you can sign up to be a member of Ace's allies, receive special limited edition Ace Kilroy merchandise, original art, and be among the first to receive Ace Kilroy Volume 1, featuring the complete story arc, plus unseen bonus art and behind-the-scenes material. Follow Ace Kilroy every day on acekilroy.com.
0: So, like I said, this episode we're looking at Superman number six, which has four brand new Superman stories. Uh, the issue was cover dated September, October, nineteen forty, and beginning with this issue, the book shifts to a bi-monthly publication schedule, which is up from the quarterly schedule that it had in the beginning. Uh, so there'll be a lot more issues of Superman in future is- or future episodes of the show. But this uh, issue was released July tenth, nineteen forty, for a price of ten cents. Our cover is by Joe Schuster and Paul Cassidy, and it shows a very smiley Superman standing akimbo in front of a yellow and white background, and at the bottom of the cover, cover, it has a signature that reads, very truly yours, Clark Kent, and in parentheses below that it reads Superman.
1: Uh, What do you think about this cover, Josh? I think he's giving away his secret identity, (laughs) but yeah. he has plausible deniability because Superman and Clark Kent are in different fonts and sizes. Right. Different so. handwritings. Um, it, it's it's an iconic pose. Yes. Um, the S is, like, smaller than I'm used to, but I know that the S would fluctuate in these early years. But, I mean, it's it's a – really, it's it's a generic, you know, Superman pose. You know, we've had yeah. a lot of these in the Golden Age, but I like this one.
0: Yeah, it's a very iconic cover and a very iconic depiction of Joe Schuster's uh, Superman the signature, the signature at the bottom is kind of silly, but I really don't mind it in this era. And it is the first time we've got a reference to Clark Kent on a cover, which oh. I found interesting because we won't see we won't see Clark Kent on the cover for another couple years, I believe it is. I found that cover a while back, but I don't remember what issue that was.
1: Is that the cover where um, Lois is walking off with Clark Kent and being like, you know, later Superman, I'm with Clark now, and Superman is sitting there looking confused?
0: No. It shows uh, Clark, and Super- Clark and Lois walking arm-in-arm, arm and there's a statue of Superman. They're, like, walking through a park, and, and there's a statue of Superman beside them. And there's- they're saying something to each other, but I don't remember what,
1: what they're saying. Probably uh, Lois is asking Super Clark why he can't be more like that statue or something.
0: Could be, yeah, yeah. Uh, but additionally, this is the first cover where we see the refined version of the Superman logotype. Uh, this refined version was first used in the interior of the New York World's Fair comic. And it finally gets put on the cover here. All the issues of Superman before this have had a, uh, a hand-drawn version. So it was very inconsistent in the, in the style of it. Uh, but like I said, this issue has four stories. And our first was untitled at publication, but was later called Lois Lane, Murder Suspect. It was 13 pages long written by Jerry Siegel with art by Paul Cassidy and edited by Whitney Ellsworth. We open on a slow news day at the Daily Planet as Lois Lane heads out to dig up some news with a jewel collector named Samuel Norville. Not getting an answer when she knocks at Norville's door, she walks on into the home, but is grabbed and falls unconscious thanks to a chloroform-soaked rag. Soon, Clark Kent shows up at the police station just as Sergeant Casey is head- heading out to a report of a disturbance at Norval's home. Clark goes along, and Scoop Carter of the morning pictorial also shoehorns himself in on the action as well. When they arrive at Norval's home, they are confronted with a series of doors, and Clark uses his X-ray vision and discovers Norval, dead from a gunshot wound to the back in one of the rooms. Carter calls his story into the pictorial, and then rips the phone from the wall before Clark can do the same. As Sergeant Casey and Clark are talking... Clark's superhearing picks up breathing from behind one of the doors and opens it to discover Lois, now conscious once again. Lois claims she can't remember anything after she entered the house, but after Casey discovers a handful of uncut gems in Lois' purse, he promptly places her under arrest for Norval's murder. While Carter fumes he can't phone in this story, Lois pleads for Clark to help, and Casey leads her out to take her to jail. As the car drives off, Clark changes to Superman— and a mighty leap lands him directly behind the car. Seizing its bumper, Superman brings the car to a halt, and the officers get out to check under the hood. Superman then grabs Lois from the car and leaps off, dodging a hail of gunfire from the officers. Returning to Norval's home, because returning to the scene of a crime is always a good idea for a wanted fugitive, Superman sticks Lois on the roof and then throws a lawn ornament to distract the police guards so he can slip inside to look for clues. After Superman enters the murder room, he spots a gun on the desk. His photographic memory lets him see the fingerprints on the gun are Lois's. And worse yet, upon examining Norval's body, he finds a piece of Lois's dress clutched in his hand. About that time, the officers return and recognize Superman as the one who freed Lois. They try shooting at him, but Superman simply catches the bullets and throws them back at them. Casey demands that Superman return Lois to their custody but Superman says that if they give him time, he will prove that Lois is innocent. He then asks who else might have profited from Norval's death, and the police tell him that Norval's nephews, John and Henry Davis, are high on the list. As another officer suggests that they call the building's architect, Mr. Berkeley, to help them navigate the the home's numerous secret panels, Superman leaps away and soon arrives at the home of John Davis. No one's home, but Superman finds an airplane schedule with a Lakeland-bound plane marked. So, speeding off, Superman soon finds the plane en route to Lakeland and forces his way inside. After finding John and not offering much by way of explanation, Superman grabs him and leaps back out of the plane, much to the surprise of the plane's pilots and other passengers. Easily outdistancing the plane, Superman lands at the home of Henry Davis. And as Superman is knocking on the door, he uses his x-ray vision to look inside and sees Henry throwing a small box into the drawer. Busting through the door, Superman grabs the box and pulls from it a necklace. After After Henry tells him he got the necklace from his uncle, who wanted him to sell it, Superman grabs both men and soon lands at the home of the architect, Berkeley. Grabbing him as well, Superman leaps off, carrying all three men, soon landing back at Norval's. Superman throws all three men inside the home via a window, and then waits outside, hoping that one of the men actually is the killer. An officer soon comes in with another suspect, who was a former guard of Norval's, and soon Superman enters with Lois in his arms, saying that she's returned of her own free will. After Superman gets a hard time from Carter and returns in kind, Casey grills the Davis brothers, both of whom claim to be innocent of killing Norval. Seeing the police are getting nowhere with their, air quote, investigation, Superman leaps forward and grabs something from a high shelf. Hiding it under his cape, he asks Casey if there is a photo lab nearby. While Casey and Superman are gone, the five suspects wonder what it was that Superman found, and when Casey returns, he tells Berkeley he's putting him under arrest. Berkeley claims innocence, but Casey tells him that a hidden camera rigged to fire at the sound of a gunshot had caught him in the act. At that, Berkeley grabs Casey's gun and confesses to murdering Norval, stealing the jewels, and framing Lois. He tries to make an escape, but Superman shows up and throws him across the room. As Casey takes him into custody, Berkeley raves about how he would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for those meddling kit I-, I mean the hidden camera. And it's at that point that Casey reveals there was no hidden camera because the whole thing was a ruse orchestrated by Superman to to get Berkeley to reveal that he was the killer. And after some expositional dialogue and playful banter between Superman and Lois, our hero leaps off. Later, Clark returns to Norval's home, saying he's got the money for Lois' bail. But Lois tells him it's too late, because Superman has already solved the case. The end. So, what'd you have on this one?
3: Well,
1: um... I don't know if it, I don't know if my previous question will be edited out, but if it's not a uh, scoop card or um, I made a note of him like oh I didn't know this person is he uh, a regular Golden Age character no, cuz I I guess uh disclosure for the audience and for the host um I've read some Golden Age Superman but not a lot like you know obviously I read the action comics one and a few other issues and the ones that have been reprinted a lot, and uh, I flipped through those Superman Chronicles and Archives years ago when they first came out. So I have a general lay of the land of the old Golden Age stories, but I don't know all the characters. So I guess this Scoop Carter, now I know that he's a one-off character. But he was an interesting uh, foil for Lois and Clark, and I liked uh, <laughs> I liked when he uh, uh, said that he wanted to phone in the story about Lois's uh, arrest, but he already ruined the phone. <laughs> yeah. This confused me. At the beginning when they're trying to get in, um, when it's Superman, uh, Carter, and uh, – uh, what, what's the police chief's name? Casey. Casey. And uh, they can't get in. So Does Superman melt the doors to get them in? Is Is that what I'm understanding happened? No.
0: They've been playing around with different ways to demonstrate Superman's various powers, especially the X-ray vision. And what it looks like to me is he's – Because he says something about my x-ray eyesight will inform me which door we should enter. And then in the next panel, it says, as Clark stares intently, the doors seem to melt away. And you kind of see – it looks kind of like the doors are melting a little bit. So I think that's just them experimenting again with how to illustrate his x-ray vision.
1: Looking at at that again and hearing you explain it to me, I feel like an idiot. When I first (laughs) read this at like uh, 2 o'clock one morning – I was like the way that I thought it happened was that like they were trying to get in the door and then like you know Clark melts it so that they can get in and they just enter oblivious to the fact that these doors melted. So uh this makes much more sense. Uh Superman kidnapping Lois from the cops that's a very interesting thing that you would you wouldn't see this happen if it was um if it was a silver age story or um a 90s story or something like superman would tell and unless he thought that lois was in danger of getting murdered in jail or something he would let her be in there and be like don't worry lois you know i'll fight to find evidence to prove that you're innocent right um so it's it's very indicative of the times like this is this is something that you would not see happen years from now. In fact, there's and there is an issue of Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane where Lois is arrested for murder, and not only does Superman let her go to jail, you know, he's forced to become her prosecuting attorney. Wow. By the way, Batman's Batman's the defense attorney. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't think I've ever read that one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the murder of Lana Lang, and aliens are behind it, and Lana's not really dead. <laughs> but uh <laughs> it's it's issue 99 and 100 of that series if you get a chance to check him out but again that that's the thing like superman um is reluctantly her prosecuting attorney but like here you know he just busts her out of jail because he can and the other story he has more of a reverence for justice where i guess back you know back in the 1940 he doesn't have that reverence because he feel i get maybe he feels the world is more corrupt or something
0: yeah, he's he's the defender of law and order unless it gets in his way. <laughs> he just doesn't care.
1: <laughs> that's that's a pretty good explanation. One thing that I thought was um, interesting is when after he gets after he uh, rescues Lois. Let me let me find the line that he says to her. Yeah, he says, "Can you add anything to the story you already related of, of being rendered unconscious when you're in the house?" Unless she told it to him in between the panels. Well, Lois should be like, "When did you hear this story? Were you snooping outside the window, or, uh? I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the panels. There is a shortly after, yeah. So you could you could assume, so you could assume that maybe she had time to tell him. But when I was reading that at the time, I was like, okay, uh, you never told her. It was also interesting for me that this is." Um, A universe right now where not everyone knows who superman is in almost all the stories in this book like maybe one or two people recognize him others are like who is this strange creature who's this guy and it's just um again i'm familiar with golden age but because i'm more used to modern superman stories i'm still taken aback when you read these old ones and like you know we're in the sixth issue and uh and that, and that's after you know, uh, you know, action comic stories too, which were published on a far more regular basis. People still don't know who he is. Yeah. Um, he opened up the plane, and uh, not everyone got sucked out because of the pressure. <laughs> so, um, you know, y- y- yay for that! In fact, like he-, he just walks on by. People are sitting there calm. Like stuff should be blowing out, but I-, I don't know about air pressure in planes. I don't know how much of that's an urban myth or not, but. <laughs> Uh, they go to Lakeland, which I don't know if um, Jerry and Joe had this in mind when they wrote the story, but that is an actual place in Florida in driving distance from me.
3: Wow. Hm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, the villain confessing once um, you know the whole camera gambit's revealed, he revealed a lot more at gunpoint than I would have expected a villain to, but I guess he asked you for purposes of plot or exposition. But the thing is… <laughs> during this tense situation where he has the gun to everyone and he's confessing you know Lois has time to chime in I told you I was innocent now's not the time the guy's got a gun pointed to all of you and then um, I guess uh, Lois is not the you know strong independent female feminist that she will be later because at the end she's gabbing to the fashion editor of the Daily Planet about the dress that she's wearing Uh, Something that I don't think you'd see Modern Lois doing. (laughs) Unless she was doing it deliberately to Ryle Carter. But uh, that's all my notes on this story.
0: All right. Um, I had more page by page, as I I do on all the stories. But um, uh, our story doesn't start in the splash page this time, but the opening text does lead into the story, which I liked. Um, A majority of the time – so far, anyway, the, the opening splashes have been completely unconnected to the story itself, though that's starting to change more and more. Uh, you talked about Scoop Carter. Um, now, Sergeant Casey is a recurring character, and this is his act, or he will be. This is a, his first appearance in the comic books. Um, he had had a previous appearance before this in the newspaper strip, about a month or so prior to the publication of this book. Uh, but Casey is a character that will be. Semi-recurring in stories written by Jerry Siegel until Siegel was fired in the late '40s. Um, speaking of Scoop, though, on page two in panel four here, he's flipping Clark's tie. That must have been a thing in the '40s because we've had several stories in the in the Superman stories where people have done this to Clark when they were picking on him. So that must have just have been a a thing people did when they were pe- picking on people. I don't know. Uh, page four, I really like the, uh, the L-shaped panel on this page where Superman is descending after the police car. Uh, the Superman stories for for a long time have been locked in this eight-panel grid, so I'm really happy when they, they break out of that. Um, it was around this time, or, or shortly after, that Paul Cassidy moved back to Milwaukee he was originally from Wisconsin but then moved to Cleveland in 1939, I think it was, to work for the Schuster shop. Uh, but then in mid to late 1940, he moved back to Wisconsin to try and get a better job to support his family. And Cassidy does all four stories in this issue. So if he was back in Wisconsin by this time working on his own, I, I can't help but wonder if he didn't feel a bit more liberty to to do things a little a little different, lay out pages a little different. But on the other hand, we're going to see some... Changes in upcoming issues of Action Comics, and we've already seen some stylistic changes over the last several stories, both here and in the newspapers, so maybe they were just easing up across the board, you know, hiring good artists and letting them do their thing. Uh, page five, speaking of great art though, we, we have another nice uh, piece of art on this page with this double panel of Superman leaping away with Lois in his arms. I, I really like that. Uh, like Josh, I I do question Superman's logic of breaking her out of police co- custody because innocent or not, he's still he's still aiding and abetting a
1: a fu- abetting a fugitive, technically speaking. Uh, page seven. And Golden Age Lois, Golden Age Lois Lane, you know, was a mean cookie. I mean, maybe she did kill him. <laughs> Could be, for all he knows. I mean. I mean, he was probably a coward, and Lois adores, uh, uh, not adores, abhors cowards. Uh-huh.
0: Page seven, Superman uses his photographic memory to recall Lois's fingerprints. How he knows what Lois's fingerprints look like, since she's never been in trouble with the law before, I don't know. But uh, it's Superman, so I, I guess I can buy it. Uh, but for all my praises about the art, on on this page, I will pick on this panel six here because we see two officers in frame in the hand of a third firing a gun and the bullet is passing right under the arm of the, the lead officer. I mean, he, he had, had he not been pointing at, at Superman at that very moment, he would have taken a bullet in the arm. Just saying. Um, at the bottom of page 8, it talks about how Superman speeds through the sky at such terrific speed, that his figure appears to blur. And the art shows Superman, but his figure is blurred, or as as they could do a blur in 1940 comic book art, but again, it's interesting seeing how they illustrate Superman's powers.
1: What colors are that blur?
0: Um, I'm looking at the reprint, and they're they're blue and red.
1: Let me. It's pull. it's a red blue blur. A red blue blur. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Bad setup for for a Smallville reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: and they actually did that in the original. It's not. It looks like they've re-inked it in the reprint. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I I think this can pretty much be called flight. There has only been one time so far in Siegel written stories where Superman's aerial maneuvers have actually been called flight. But at this point, we see him zooming horizontally through the sky at a pretty great speed. And then on the next page, it talks about how he uh, soars through the sky, and the narration tells how he easily outdistances the plane that's going Two hundred fifty mile per hour. So, I'm pretty much ready to call this flight at this point. Even though, you know, for a little while in the comics, they're they're still not going to call it flight regularly. Uh, like flirting with flight, show. definitely, definitely. And on the radio show, he is flying, but in the Siegel-written stories, he's still supposedly leaping. Uh, page thirteen. I was all ready to cry shenanigans over the hidden camera that Superman found. I mean, something rigged to take a picture when a gunshot goes off seems awfully specific. But then they turned around and revealed that it was all a ruse to get a confession. So I was kind of actually a little let down at that point, uh, because I don't know how Superman figured out that he was
1: the murderer. But I, I do like With his the- photographic memory. His photographic memory <laughs> is meant to go off when a gunshot's fired. <laughs>
0: uh, But I do like how Superman... He had a
1: super hunch.
0: A super hunch. There you go. Um, I do like how Superman tricked the guy into confessing rather than just throwing him through a wall and forcing him to confess. Uh, But like I said, I don't know how he figured it out. Uh, He did make a vague comment that he was a good judge of character. So it it seems like he just got really lucky. But at the same time, in 1940, I think it works just fine. Uh, Does it feel... The very last panel of the story, does it feel to you like that line about uh, Lois using a spare phone was just stuck in there at the last minute? Like they forgot Carter had ripped, up, ripped the phone out of the wall, but the art was already done, so they just had to stick that line in there?
1: I just figured that they were in another room of the house with a different phone or that they're at the police station. or I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, fi- I figured that it, it's easily explainable because we don't Hell know yeah. where they are. and like, like why would Clark go back to the house to get Lois's bail?
0: Yeah, you I did say that I did say in the house in my synopsis, but they could be
1: Yeah, they could or be the phone could have been cars. repaired by that point or yeah. like or something or although then again in 1940, I suppose like you know more than one phone in a household, oh boy, you know, what, what are you rich or something? Well, he's <laughs> a jewel
0: collector. Normal was a jewel collector, so he's probably got yeah. money. A, a phone in
1: every room. How excessive.
0: <laughs> uh But I like this one. As with the case of most of the stories we're going to talk about in this issue, I didn't have too many notes on it. But uh, it was a fun story, and it it was really a quicker read than a lot of Golden Age Superman stories as there didn't seem to be as many random side tangents that only served the purpose of Superman showing off. Um, I know.
1: Those happen a lot. Yes. I I really feel like some of these are written – like page by page, not with a plot or outline.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or I kind of wondered, and I don't know if I've said this in the show, but a lot of the stories that Siegel wrote, to this point anyway, it feels like he had a lot of ideas, but not a lot of know-how of how to form those into a cohesive story. Because you just have, like, well, we'll get to it later, but uh, later on in the issue, we have a story that feels like three separate stories jammed into one, with only a, a very thin plot running, you know, connecting them. So.
1: Right. Or they have these stories, but then, like, when they they realize that they need to fill more pages, so they put these little tangents in them.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, they didn't have a lot of interaction in, in the story, but Lois seemed fairly nice to Clark in this story. They've been kind of changing the way Lois interacts with Clark recently because in the earliest stories she was just completely insane towards him, never showing, never giving him giving him a kind word at all. But in recent stories she's been treating him a little more kindly, although she still does, you know, do the cliche coward, you know, calling him a coward and and that kind of thing.
1: I, I noticed that, and I have a note about that for one of the other stories in here. <laughs> okay,
0: uh, but art-wise, it was it was decent. It did seem a bit rushed in places, but I like that um, that they that they or Cassidy or whoever is playing around to different layouts. Like I said, uh, but that's all I had. Um, if you're interested in reading this story, it was reprinted in Superman Archives Volume Two and Superman Chronicles Volume Four.
3: Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... And your emails are always welcome at Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape.
0: Alright, so our next story was also untitled at publication, but later called... The Rulers of Gateston. It was 13 pages, and like the first story, written by Jerry Siegel with art by Paul Cassidy. And Josh is going to tell us all about this one.
1: All right, we have a splash page. A Superman busting through a brick wall, kool aid Main style, going, oh yeah, with two racketeers. Uh, one's pointing a gun at him, while another one has Lois. uh You know, he's kind of got her in, you know, a little bit of a shoulder lock. Well, there's, I guess, a bald guy just hiding behind a wheelbarrow for some reason. I don't know whose side he's on, if he's a racketeer or if he's a hostage or whatever um he, he he's hiding in between a wheelbarrow and for the uh preview um synopsis for the story and that preview synopsis says racketeer terror grim ruthless descends upon peachable gateston beating bombing face businessmen men who refuse to be intimidated by evil brute bashby into this setup barges the foe of all injustice superman all right even with reading that they structure their sentences weird but <laughs> yeah
0: most of these intro paragraphs are are structured very oddly grammatically they're hard to read right
1: well we start off with a gang of thugs pulling up into a cheap hotel into the town of gateston Uh, the clerk recognizes brute bashby as a racketeer because racketeers are famous in the pre-mass media days when there was no cnn and everything uh He doesn't want to give him a room, but physical force and intimidation ensures that the hotel will fulfill their promise to give him a room. Jim Terrell, he's a newspaper editor for the Gaston Gazette. He watches in anger as the racketeers take over his town, but he's not so easily intimidated. So he takes his fight to the paper. You know, he fights them via the press. But Bashby's resolved to get rid of Terrell, which sets the stages for George Taylor to send Lane and Kent to Gaston to check out this racketeer versus Terrell story. Lois and Clark arrive in town, and a guy named Dick Daniels who works at the Gazette meets them. No sooner does he escort them to the paper when the building explodes, killing the editor Terrell who just got inside. We're introduced to Morden Twist. He's a lawyer. He he rushes there, and the way that he was introduced, uh, just kind of out of nowhere, having nothing to do with the the scene or what was going on, other than just being an extra person to show up, led me to believe that there was more of him than him that met the eye. But hey, what do I know? <laughs> they say there will be. No, they they the the planets and the gazette and you know twist they literally vow that like this has to stop there will be no more explosions and as they say that another explosion happens <laughs> so i get that obviously this means that the paper has to cease publication and clark's like oh no i'll ensure that this paper will keep on publishing and lois says whatever do you mean how are you going to do that and then I figured we were going to cut away the like Superman doing something super, the get the, to, I guess like flying somewhere to get a printing press or something. But no, it's just Clark calling um, <laughs> the publisher of the Daily Planet, whose name is Mason, on the phone to send some stuff. And he's like, why, sure, I'll send some stuff. I really thought that that whole thing was a setup for Superman doing something super to help him he's like you'll see lois you'll see hey mason can you send something why sure clark so then clark changes to superman and cleans some wreckage talking about how he's a housewife's dream you know because he cleans so fast he's and then he flies to check on the uh printing press material that's coming and they're on a one lane road on a hill for some reason and the gangster's car is uh driving head-on into them it's gonna force them off the side of the road Obviously, both cars fall off when this happens. I don't know what the racketeers were thinking, how they were going to get out of this one. They didn't really think this through. Superman says, whoops, I only have time to save one. Um... I feel like he's trying to justify what's about to happen but sure he he say, he saves the printing press car while um the other car explodes a fitting end for their kind uh, yeah, he even has a little quit then um, James Terrell's brother uh, George comes into the uh, Gazette and he sees Lois and Clark there working and he's like who are you guys reporters here acting like you own the place just sitting there get out of my paper and Clark uses his photographic memory you know that I guess comes up whenever the plot needs it to. They realize that this guy's actually a convict named... Oh, I forgot his name. Let me flip back to the actual book. What was this guy's name? Not that the name's important, but, oh yeah, Gallen. Yeah. Clark remembers that this is an actual guy named Gallen. So Clark and the Clark and Lois are back in the hotel, and they get a news tip that there's an important conference uh, between Bashby and somebody else at the Gaston Hardware Company. So Clark realizes that this is a trap, but takes Lois along anyway, driving in the car. He sees that they're being tailed, so he knocks Lois out with a Vulcan nerve pinch. And then the car pulls up to him, and Clark opens up the door and kicks the car off the bridge. Now, I really... I really hope that those guys are dead. Otherwise, his secret identity's blown. They don't say what happened to the guys. Lois wakes up and Clark says, oh, you must have passed out from the heat, which Lois doesn't question. But if she passed out from the heat, how come, you know, puny, spineless, coward Clark didn't pass out? And how hot does how hot does Clark want Lois to think it was that she passed out? Um, <laughs> there's lots of questions here. But we go to the meeting where uh, of course that mysterious lawyer twist who's in the plot for no reason uh, at all is at this meeting where they're trying to shake down um the owner of they're trying to shake down Calvin Chambers owner of a uh, owner of the company into being in his protection rackets there's a lot of yelling and threats and intimidation and then you know they punch Clark and take off Clark changes to Superman uh, when nobody's looking, obviously, he leaves because he's like, oh, I got something important to do. And Lois is like, oh, you're just a coward, as usual, because Lois hates cowards. He chases Brute into the drugstore where um, he overhears Brute uh, talking about – he overhears Brute telling um his racketeers to destroy the factory. Superman stops that, and we have a few pages of Superman fighting the racketeers, uh, crumpling up their guns, throwing them around. Bashby orders his men to finish off chalmers then the girl they take out their guns and then superman busts through the wall again kool-aid style and bonks their heads together and then i love this he takes them to the sky and they say let go and he says happy to oblige and drops them um i can't tell how high he is but i'm assuming to their deaths lots of uh racketeers dying in this story Chalmers tells Lois to be careful, you know, and not to follow them back to their hotel. But she's like, oh, I'm used to danger anyway. So she goes in, starts snooping around when Twist, who's chocolate blue, he turns out to be the guy behind the racketeers. What a twist. Ha, ha, ha. Get it? (laughs) The twist was that twist was behind it all. And they decide that instead of killing Lois because she's the only person that knows that they're just going to let her go. Lois doesn't find anything suspicious about this at all and starts to head towards her car when Superman comes and says, don't start the car. I don't know when they had time to hotwire her car if they didn't even know she was in the room. Unless Unless they saw it while they were outside the hotel like, oh, here's the reporter's car. They must be in here. Let's hotwire this thing and pretend to be surprised when we find them in the hotel room. Yeah, actually, that makes more sense. So, makes Lois not start the car. Superman goes back in, gets Twist and Bashby, makes them go in the car, and then tells them to start it, which makes them cry like little babies, and then say, okay, okay, we'll confess to everything, which they do. And uh, there's one panel left where I guess Jerry and Joe realized, oh yeah, we had that whole thing about Clark recognizing Terrell's brother as a criminal, and he's like... (laughs) why yes i was i was in jail but i was wrongfully accused and i kicked you guys out and was a jerk because i thought that you were criminals ha 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 the end
0: when when you set up red herrings, it's important to resolve them before the story's over
1: yes especially when you set them up really really big uh
0: do you care if i go first on this one
1: yeah go go for it
0: um this is the first Superman story to start with a full-page splash. Usually they've just been half-page splashes. Um, but it's, it's a really nice splash. Not, not as nice as we're going to get, but I, I do like it. it. It isn't exactly a scene that happens in the story, but I guess it could be representational since we see Lois in the hands of racketeers and Superman smashing into saver. Uh, I have no idea who this guy here is hiding behind the barrel. It, it's its bizarre. He, yeah, <laughs> um, and it's also the only place we see Superman in the story until all the way over on page 5 which I found interesting uh, pages 2 and 3 I don't actually have too many notes about these opening pages but I did think it was a, they, that they made really efficient use of the space and they were able to communicate quite a bit of story in just a, a short amount of panels without it feeling all jammed up like in the next story we're going to look at um and the town here is, is Gateston or, or Gatsden, whichever, uh, which is a town that was first referenced in the last uh, storyline from the daily newspaper strip I looked at. So while that could just be an instance of Siegel reusing names, I like the continuity that they referenced, uh, referenced it in that story and then brought it back here for a bigger story. Uh, page four I was kind of surprised that they killed Terrell we had a scene with him and then he seemed like he was going to be a part of the story and then they killed him off which is unusual because uh, unfortunately in Siegel stories usually when he kills someone at the beginning of the story you you really haven't found out much about him you know like an innocent victim you haven't found out much about him Uh, so that kind of surprised me Uh, page 5 we have another semi recurring character here with the Daily Planet publisher this is uh, Burt Mason this is his second and possibly final appearance, so I don't know if that can be considered a recurring character or not, but but I did really like that uh, Mason was so willing to help out, in in the more modern books, you know, Perry White and the Daily Planet staff are generally every bit as upstanding and dedicated to fighting for truth, justice, and the American way as Superman is, uh, but to date we really haven't gotten much characterization at all for George Taylor, who is the editor in the comics and I'm not really faulting them for that that because it's the Golden Age and you just didn't have the characterization like you do now but I liked seeing Mason stand up and go above and beyond to help the Gazette because it's something that I can see the modern day Perry White doing Uh, but also on this page we have Superman swooping down the side of a mountain as he follows the freight truck Superman's body is basically parallel to the side of the mountain and his arms are stretched out to his side for those of you who don't have the story in front of you, think Christopher Reeves' flight pose, but with the arms straight out to the side instead of in front. And the narration reads Zooming through the sky like a rocket, soon Superman sights the object of his search. So I'm pretty much comfortable saying that Superman is flying at this point, even though, like I said with the last story, they're not specifically saying so yet. And it's weird because there are places throughout all four of these stories where he clearly is jumping or running when he could be flying. But even given the most lenient definition of leaping, I'm I'm hard pressed to explain how he does this with a leap. Page six, Josh said in his synopsis that you know Superman lets the crooks die and a well-deserved fate. Much like with, uh, with excuse me, much like with Batman around this time, they seem to have greatly reduced Superman's propensity for killing criminals, but he's uh, still still not very sorry to see him go.
1: He's, he's out for blood in this one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> cars off of bridges, dropping people mid quote-unquote flight.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, page
0: seven, I was disappointed, actually, that the newspaper story basically ended here. I mean, I understand that Bashby was terrorizing the entire town, but for the first half of the story the the gazette is almost all they'd focused on so like we said earlier it feels like two separate stories when you just have this abrupt ending um i think the story would have been better served with a little bit of a different pacing you know throwing in some other scenes in the first half showing uh trouble around other parts of the town it it wouldn't have felt like such a jarring change in the story that way page eight at the bottom uh panel 7, Clark is getting shoved in the face by Bashby, and Lois, she, she's got her fists up, and Lois is like, give it to him, Clark! Don't let him give that to you! As cliche as these moments can be to our modern sensibilities, as you know, modern reader sensibilities, um, they, they still make me laugh a little bit. Uh, but that's really all I had on this story, which is weird because I still have four or five pages to go, but I, I thought this was a fun story, and it was very much a return to Superman as champion of the oppressed, which they've kind of been inching away from a little bit in recent stories, you know, focusing on bigger scale threats like Luthor or the Ultra Humanite. But coming in and cleaning out some thugs that are running roughshod over a town is—it very much fits in the early Golden Age period that I'm covering on this show. So I really, really liked it on that level, and and like I said, it was fun and entertaining. So, what do you got?
1: Uh, not not much, really, because I, I usually inco- I incorporate a lot of my notes into my recap with some of the side comments. One thing um, I want to mention about Mason is I like how the publisher is a separate character from the editor, George Taylor, because... A lot of modern-day comic writers, and not just with comics, but TV shows, too, is, like, the guy who's the editor, the guy who's the boss that, like, sends you out on the assignments, for some reason, they always (laughs) almost make him also the publisher. Uh Like, the publisher and editor is one person, and there's no, like, distinguishing between the roles. Like, J. Jonah Jameson, for a long time, was the editor of The Bugle and also the publisher, you know, just because he was the boss, and I guess... Um, I don't know what the current well, I guess the current state of the Daily Planet. really weird now because um, I, I guess they're like GBS again in the new Fifty Two. But uh, before uh, Flashpoints, well, did Perry White own the Daily Bugle before Flashpoints? That, that's what that's what I thought. The Daily Bugle. No, he didn't. Did Perry White own the Daily Planet before Flashpoints?
0: Uh, yeah, there was a thing where Lex around early 2000, 2009, yeah. Lex Luthor bought it and then. He ended up selling it back to Perry White because he was going to run for president, but he sold it, yeah, for a dollar, and then there was another clause in there or something that Perry had to kill a story. That's what it was. Perry had to kill a story, uh, and then that came into play later, but yeah. Um,
1: I vaguely remember like him talking to Lois about that and like Lex being like, it could be the biggest story in the world, or it can be a simple weather report. Yeah. One day I will randomly like – I was like, what kind of weather report would Lex want Lois to get? I understand that wasn't the point, but like thinking that at the time. But yeah, like people don't understand that like there's these different roles and it was actually a big deal in the Spider-Man comics in the 80s when um, Jonah stepped down as the editor-in-chief and was exclusively publisher and Robbie became the new editor-in-chief. But then people didn't understand that, like, oh, well, the dynamic's the same. Jonah's still going to be the boss giving out assignments. It's like, no, he's the publisher, not the editor-in-chief. And I don't know. I, I see lots of people in fiction think that, like, whoever's the boss giving out assignments also happens to own the paper. So I like that yeah. those were two different people here.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't really have any other okay. notes on this oh, okay. other than Superman being bloodthirsty and the other stuff that I incorporated into the <laughs> recap
0: alright then Um, well if you're interested in reading this like the first actually all four of the stories we're covering this episode were reprinted in Superman Archives Volume 2 and Superman Chronicles Volume 4
3: and now folks it's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba 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 money 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 who do you trust? me? I'm giving away free money And where is the Batman?
1: Okay, let's try this another way. Where's Bruce?
3: People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible, I can be everlasting. No, 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 let me guess, giant menacing, supernatural
2: form, kind of like the fact. Every punk in this town is scared stiff, you know what they say? They say he can't be killed, they say he drinks blood. There's nothing mere about that, mortal. Who, who... are you? I'm your worst nightmare. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. And we need him now.
3: Where are you? Here. <laughs>
1: the legends of the Batman. Everything Batman,
2: from the beginning. Available at BatmanLegends.com
0: Alright, so our third story was also untitled at publication, but later called Mission to San Columa. It was 13 pages, written by Jerry Siegel, penciled by Paul Cassidy, inked by Paul Cassidy and Paul Loretta, and edited by Whitney Ellsworth. The South American country of San Columa is hit by an earthquake. People in the U.S. rally to rush aid, and Clark Kent is assigned to cover the departure of the ship that's carrying the relief. He heads to the airport to get a comment from the arriving relief officials, but little does he know, aboard the inbound plane, trouble awaits. The plane's mechanic has apparently gone crazy and tried to sabotage the plane. The pilot hits him with a wrench, but the plane has already gone out of control. Onlookers at the airfield watch in horror, and Clark sees with his telescopic vision that the pilot is fighting to regain control. Slipping into the shadows... He changes to Superman, and as the plane heads towards a high steeple, Superman makes a mighty leap right into the path of the plane. A split second before the deadly crash, Superman is able to shove the plane in the other direction, thus saving the steeple. Unfortunately, his aim was a little off, and Superman sent the plane directly towards an incoming transport plane. Superman somersaults back into the sky and is able to grab hold of the transport plane, slowing its flight and avoiding another deadly crash. As the pilots regain control of their respective planes and come in for landings, Superman himself starts to fall back down to Earth when he sees the people gathered below, right where he's going to land. Not wanting to fall and injure them, Superman grabs the sides of his cape, spreads it like a sail, and soars away. Soon, Clark rejoins the crowd as the mechanic is placed under arrest. The officials don't have time for an interview, so Clark follows them to the docks and listens in as they address the gathered crowd. After the speeches, people wonder why the boat hasn't left, and Clark uses his X-ray vision and discovers the boat's engines have been tampered with and that the ship's departure will be delayed for a week. After phoning in his story, Clark returns home and changes to Superman. He's sure the incidents on the plane and the boat are connected and is planning on talking to the mechanic, but as he's about to head out, he is surprised by a burglar. Clark worries that the thief has discovered his secret identity, but the thief doesn't quite seem to recognize who he is. Raging against all wise judgment, Superman continues to push the thief, and finally resulting in the thief shooting at him. As the thief watches the bullets bounce off Superman's chest, it finally dawns on him what he's discovered. The thief threatens to go public with the information, but Superman doesn't do blackmail, and threatens to snap the thief's neck. At that, the thief makes a run for it, screaming that he knows who Superman is. Quickly changing back to Clark, Superman follows and catches up just in time to see the thief fall down a flight of conveniently placed stairs. An onlooker asks the man to tell him who Superman is, but the thief is only able to utter, Superman is, uh, before dying. Clark checks on the body and realizes the man actually is dead and that his secret is safe. With our tangent over, Superman leaps out of his apartment once more, arriving soon at the jail. He breaks in and demands that the mechanic tell him who hired him. Before the man can talk, however, a guard, having heard the commotion, rushes forward and shoots the mechanic while screaming, Die, traitor! The guard then shoots at Superman, but one of the bullets ricochets, killing him as well. Out of options, Superman heads to the dock and begins pushing the boat out to sea himself. The seamen fire at Superman, but our hero just dives underwater, out of sight, and continues his trek. An hour later, a bomber soars overhead. Spotting it with his telescopic vision, Superman leaps out of the water, carrying off the racks so that the bombs fall harmlessly into the ocean. Unfortunately, Superman's aim is again a little off, and one of the bombs heads directly towards the ship. After smashing the bomb with his fists, Superman goes after the bomber, easily overtaking it and causing it to crash into the ocean. And, yes, killing anyone who was on board. With the dangers finally averted, Superman finishes his trip to San Columa, delivering the aid, and then leaps back towards the States. When he returns to the Daily Planet, Editor Taylor tells him that Lois has been sent to cover the loading of a second relief ship. As Lois arrives at the warehouse, she's quickly knocked out and left for dead as thugs set the place on fire. Superman confronts the thugs as they leave, and then runs in to rescue Lois. While back outside, the thugs are called traitors and killed in a drive-by shooting. Apparently, one of the thugs survives, though, because as Superman and Lois come back out of the warehouse, he tells them that their boss Mumsen was in the car. With a leap into the air, Superman follows the car back to the building, or back to a building, and listens in with his super hearing. He overhears Mumpson giving orders over a radio to disrupt the relief ship. Superman smashes through the wall, smashes the radio, and then goes after Mumpson, who tries to throw some evidence into a nearby furnace. But Superman reaches into the furnace with his bare hands and pulls out the evidence from the flames, assuring that Mumpson will pay for his crimes. Before he can go after Mumpson again, though, Mumpson pulls a switch, resulting in a huge explosion. While the blast kills Mumpson, Superman is unharmed, of course, and later returns to the Daily Planet as Clark Kent, where Taylor congratulates him on the scoop. And both men, along with Lois, celebrate the relief supplies will finally reach St. Columa, thanks to Superman. The end. (laughs) And everything that happened after Superman returned to St. Columa happened in two pages. So definitely not a decompressed story.
1: Definitely not uh, – well, definitely is one of those like stories that you mentioned before where it's like a bunch of different stories. Yeah, Like that whole thing with the thief that discovered his secret identity, that was uh, a very big non-sequitur.
0: Yeah, it's completely disconnected from the rest of the story.
1: Yeah. Filling pages and – okay, Superman's worried, oh, no, this guy might have discovered my secret identity – so he goads the guy into jumping to the conclusion <laughs> instead of doing everything that he can to throw him off, like, um, <sighs> that I didn't get. <laughs> I thought Superman was going to, like, use his – uh I guess he didn't have super breath at this point, but, like, use his, like, some sort of powers to, like, manipulate the guy into falling down the stairs. Yeah. Superman saving a plane. It's very interesting because Superman saving a plane is such like an everyday iconic Superman thing now that he does with these. It's interesting to see how he does it here. Yeah. Back when his uh, power set wasn't as large as it was. Now, the scene with Lois, and let me flip to it right now. First of all, I I love the line where they're like, what about her? Dead people can't testify. I love that they say that, but there's just a panel of Lois like arsonist. Get that girl, and then the next panel, she's on the ground, like either knocked out or tied up or something. Like we 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 don't see the struggle. Like it just <laughs> in, in between the panels, Lois is subdued. I like I looked at her hands, and I'm like, why can't she get out? Like I mean, she's on her hands. Is she tied up? Yeah. Was she just? Is she just weak? Like they don't tell us. They're like, get the girl, and then the next panel, she's got. You know, we're, we're missing a panel there. I don't have much else about that story. Okay.
0: Yeah, that just wasn't... I don't really have many notes on it either. Um, I liked the opening four pages. I thought there was a lot of action there, and in, in good action. But when I got through that, and, and I realized I was on page five, and they really hadn't even gotten into the story yet, I knew at that point we were already in trouble. On page two, I liked the bottom two panels. We see... Uh, the first panel shows Clark, and the second panel shows Superman because he's changing into Superman, obviously. But the way Cassidy drew it, it he's he's um, posed almost the same in both panels. So I thought that was a neat visual trick that they used between the panels to kind of show the transformation. The the transformation is something else that they're uh, constantly working on, and, and it, it's been more subtle than the powers, obviously. But they're they haven't really gotten to the point yet with the dynamic shirt rip. They they haven't figured that out yet. The, the only other major notes I had for this was about the sequence with the thief we've had a few comments here and there from Clark worrying that you know his identity might be exposed if, if he does a super feed or tries to save Lois and we had one story where Lois was told by a hypnotist that he could reveal to her Superman's true identity though that ended up being a sham and, and they'd forgotten all about it by the end of the story but this is the most of the most overt of the now cliched situations dealing with Superman's identity being revealed. And in fact, I think this might be the very first person to discover Superman's identity as Clark Kent. So that kind of seems historically significant. Unfortunately, as people who learn Superman's identity are want to do, the, the guy dies before he can tell anyone. And as modern readers, I think we knew that was going to happen as soon as he found out the secret. Oh
1: he was toast. Yeah, but it makes Although me... if one person was uh, smart enough they could realize that guy is inside Clark Kent's apartment building.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> like they they might not know that he was in Clark's actual unit, but in the building where you know Clark and among other people live, so you could narrow it down if you had to.
0: Yeah. But it makes me wonder what kids at the time thought when they were reading this story. As modern readers, we know that his his identity is not going to be revealed to the world. But I don't think kids at the time had any such preconceived notion. Uh, But I like the final panel, too, how they explicitly drive home what had happened. You know, the guy falls down the stairs, and the bystanders try to get information, but he dies. And then Clark checks on the body and says, He's dead, and so passes the one man who might have revealed my true identity to the world. Uh, Very exposition-heavy. But that's all I had. You know, like I said, it just feels... It feels like three or four stories, or even partial stories thrown together into one, with only this idea of getting aid for San Columa, very thinly connecting them.
1: Like a newspaper strip.
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually, it reminds me of the last Sunday newspaper story that I covered, which, ironically enough, was also about getting aid for a
1: foreign country. So... Well, it's foreign countries and need as much help as they can get. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: I thought the art was wonderful in this story. It it was a very strong outing from Paul Cassidy. Uh, There was lots of detail, uh, lots of dynamic panels and layouts. Um, Even though Cassidy's work can be a bit rough when he both pencils and inks it, I, I do like Cassidy quite a bit. In page 11, I think it was, if I can find it, skipping through here. Yeah, page 11 was a very dynamic panel. Uh just to point out one page, it's it's a beautifully illustrated page of action and I would be totally okay with hanging this one page on the wall as an example of Superman art from this era because we see you know, we see Superman rocketing out of the water and smashing the bombs. It's just a very dynamic page. Uh So yeah, the, the story I don't want to completely discount it because it had its strong points. But it's more important for the incidental stuff than the actual story itself, and I, I'd say it's easily the weakest story of the issue, but the but perhaps the most important because of the the burglar scene. Uh, any more comments on it from you? Uh, nope. Okay. Uh, if you want to read it, it's like the others. It's Superman Archives Volume Two and Superman Chronicles Volume Four.
3: dawn of an age, the founding of a family.
2: You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays.
3: We've got to take that chance.
1: Conditions are right tonight. Let's go.
2: They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up.
3: Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh Reed, not so you too. What
1: happened to me? To all of us?
3: I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four.
1: For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power.
3: I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little they dream there are the palms in a hand. The
0: Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings know can't change the
2: way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been
3: expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the fantastic four are no more, and the planet of Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatam, king of kings, master of men. Lord and the seven songs. fool! you you're just a
1: muscular freak, blind or a Stop!
3: You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My, My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain that until it has been drained of all elemental life. So the Galactus. Flame on! It's clamoring time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, ffcast.libsyn.com.
0: All right, so our final story—it was has been called "The Construction Racket." It was thirteen pages, written by Jerry Siegel, with art by Paul Cassidy and Paul Loretta, and Josh has got the synopsis on this one as well.
1: All right, we have um it's not a full splash page, but kind of, you know, a splash banner of, you know, Superman and an American eagle, you know, it's, you know, really really iconic patriotic except for some reason why is the eagle <laughs> holding what I guess looks like a little boy? It's like the eagle's like carrying off this little boy, and Superman's trying to stop. Like I, I don't know what they're trying to do here. It's totally
0: some of these splash pages when they're not connected to the story are just completely random. I mean, I don't I don't know why an eagle would have. I don't know if it's a little boy or a woman. It's really hard to tell. But why an eagle would have a person in its talons? Yes. It.
1: Yeah. It's it's weird. Look at it, and then, like, look, like like listeners of the podcast. Like seriously, like this isn't like the guy hiding behind the wheelbarrow in the other story. Like that was just kind of odd, but you know, understandable. This is this is just strange. It's everyone go look at it now. The, this evil carrying this little boy or woman or whatever. Um, <laughs> It's not distracting me enough that I can't read this little blurb that we have, which is leaping over skyscrapers, running faster than an express train, springing great distances and heights, lifting and smashing tremendous weights, possessing an impenetrable skin. Except for at the end of the story when he penetrates it. These are the amazing attributes of what's Superman, champion of the helpless and oppressed. And oh my god, why is the eagle kidnapping that little (laughs) Champion of the helpless and oppressed avails himself as he battles the forces of evil and injustice. Okay. Well, the Grimes Brothers' department store is celebrating its opening day, and they really bring down the house. Unfortunately, it's 2012 – unfortunately, it's not 2012, and bringing down the house in the year 1940 meant that the house was actually brought down. So it wasn't so awesome in their case because the walls collapse while the customers are in there. Yeah. George Taylor of the Daily Planet thinks that collapsing walls in an apartment store are newsworthy, so he sends Clark Kent to check it out. Clark arrives at the scene wondering how the construction company is going to get out of this one. Clark heads to the Globe Construction Company to watch them squirm, and Amanda's fleeing the building in a hurry maybe he didn't want to squirm with the others i don't know clark heads into the unlocked open door of the office for the head of the firm and finds a man dead with a gun in his hand just a sergeant clancy now um is i mean, I, I got i thought it was the guy from the beginning of the story but that guy was casey this guy's clancy so well, comes they've, in
0: they've oh, had some weirdness there there were a couple officers in that newspaper story i talked about where casey was introduced they introduce Sergeant Casey, but then Lois calls out Sergeant Clancy and runs over to the officers. So I don't know if there's a Sergeant Casey and a Sergeant Clancy or if you know, Siegel is just messing up his names again. Could be either one.
1: Well, maybe um they'll reckon that his name was Casey Clancy. That could Clancy work. Casey. That could actually work. That's what they do in Star Wars when someone has two names sometimes they give them <laughs> the same name. Or like two middle names or something. Um, So just as Sergeant Clancy or Casey Clancy comes in and notes suspiciously that Clark is at the scene of the crime. And wait a minute. Didn't we just – are they ripping off the first story of the book? (laughs) Luckily, Sergeant Clancy decides not to rip off the first story of the book. And like as he's accusing Clark of being the murderer, he's like, nah, Justine, it's a suicide. But Clark uses his X-ray CSI Miami vision to figure out that the killer has four fingers on his right hand. Clark interviews the grieving widow uh, of this dead guy who informs him that her husband was fronting for another company. Clark decides that that's as good of a lead as any. But Taylor doesn't, though. Um, Taylor doesn't care. Remember when he thought that a collapsing building was newsworthy? Yeah. He decides... He tells Clark not to waste any more time on that boring old collapsing building and murder story. Big waste of time for a reporter. Instead, he wants Clark to check out a stadium being built. Lois wants to come. Um because of the plot i guess um lois wants to go with clark this is unusual for old age lois right well once lois and clark arrive some guy with an axe to grind doesn't want the reporters around so he punches clark in the face let me go to those two pages because i made a note that i wanted to check him out We're reporters for the Daily Planet. Reporters say, I don't care if you're the king of Siam. Going in and I'll lambast you as sure as my name is Sam Goats. Look out, Clark! Hey! I told you to get out of here. Surely you're not going to stand for that, Clark. Go on, suck that pulley. Man, Lois is a troublemaker now that I think about it. She's always, like, setting Clark <laughs> up to get in these fights where he's going to, you up Oh, me? Attack him? Only morons resort to physical violence. Only morons and cowards? <laughs> Lois, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> You're like only morons and cowards resorts to fights don't you not want Clark to be a ca- it's i understand like you're angry and it was like you know it sounded good in your head at the time but you're actually disproving your point <laughs> so clark tells the guy that he's going to tell on him to his boss the guy doesn't care and for purposes of the cl- of the plot gives clark the name of his company jackson construction clark visits mr jackson and takes no- notice of the man having four fingers or is it five because – and the way that it's drawn here, it looks like the guy just has one finger kind of like bent in. Thank you. Yes. Like I see a fingernail. <laughs> yeah. Like – OK. Glad I'm not feeling with it. Because I, like, I looked at that page for like a straight minute. Like <laughs> is that a finger? You know what? There's a fingernail. I'm calling it a finger. Right. yeah. But – Clark's Clark's photographic memory forgot about the fingernail I guess so he concludes the meeting with this guy and decides to investigate further Clark changes in the Superman and checks out the stadium and his suspicions are correct the materials that they're using to build the stadium are inferior materials which is why they didn't want any reporters in there the construction workers aren't pleased about this interruption so they attack him during the battle some workers fall into the cement <laughs> a fitting end for their kind oh no Not really. Um, Clark, uh, Superman, saves them. Okay. A little out of character. Um, But yeah. Days later, the stadium is opening, and Lois asks Clark to escort her to the groundbreaking. What is up with Lois in this story? She's like throwing... Like, this is the closest that she's done to throwing herself at Clark. I mean, I realize she's not, like, at his apartment in negligee, but I mean, my gosh, like, from the other Golden Age stuff I've seen, she has never been this friendly. She's, like, inviting herself out with him. Well, Clark just declines for Superman reasons. So... Clark uh, Clark changes in the Superman and goes outside of uh, Jackson's window, where he hears Jackson having an expositional talk with the mayor, where he tells the mayor, I insist that you immediately sign the release, which will allow me to receive payment for my, comp- for my company's work on the stadium, Mr. Mayor. But Jackson, I don't think it's wise to – never mind what you think. All I need to do is let it be known that you received a cut on the Globes Construction Company Shady Department Store deal – Neat job, my operant through a subsidiary, eh? All sign. Luckily, uh, that phone call spelled everything out, including the characters repeating stuff to each other that both of them would already know. But, you know, this was a 1940s story, you know, geared towards younger readers, so you can give them a break for some of that exposition. So Superman, having overheard that phone call, races to the mayor's office to stop him from signing the release. Oddly enough, um, I have no reason to believe that this takes place in anywhere but Metropolis, but oddly enough, the mayor of Metropolis does not recognize Superman, um, which I, I would think that by the this point in his operating career, at least the mayor would be aware of him, but go figure – so Superman – he doesn't recognize Superman when he burst into his office demanding that he not sign the release. Superman holds the mayor's door shut with one finger, which prevents the guards from breaking it down. He then <laughs> kidnaps the mayor, jumping out the window. Superman then goes to Mr. Jackson's office and kidnaps them as well. He brings them to the stadium, which is now starting to collapse. He ties them up um, in one of the towers on the stadium so that they won't escape, you know, escape the building that's falling and will no doubt kill them. Well, he rushes to save the people who will be crushed to death. Not that George Taylor would care because he doesn't think that that's a newsworthy story. So there's one point where um, I guess Lois went to the stadium without Clark anyway where like the, there's a children's section of the stadium and it actually says children's section because for some reason the kids are separated from the adults there's one kid who's like really really balding um, <laughs> the, the one on like the far right um, with, <laughs> uh, with with the kind of the spit curl yeah and uh, so so they're trapped they're about to die and Lois is about to die and Superman says Lois menaced and so are those children who shall I save and I put instants to make up my mind which reminds me of Spider-Man 1 with uh, the Green Goblin dropping Mary Jane and the children like save the woman you love or suffer the children which in the Silver Age Superman would have found a way to save them both at the same time in the modern age, Superman would have like like in the '90s, Superman would have saved the kids first, and Lois probably would have been mad at him for hesitating. Here it's weird. Like he, he legitimately doesn't know what to do. When you'd imagine that most heroes would just go for the children and you know let the chips fall where they may. Right. And and, and finally, Lois of all people says, "Never mind me, save the children." Which like, look, well, if she hadn't done that, what? Well, What would he have done would he have would he have not saved the kids first like that that really begs the question so superman saved the children while lois is trapped under rubble he digs it he digs up the rubble sees lois's hand screams at the top of his lungs, flies up towards the scream. As jor says, it is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. And then Jonathan Kent says, if there's one thing I know, you were put on the surf to do- – no, 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 I'm just reciting the last scene of Superman 1. I'm kidding. Lois is fine when he digs her up. <laughs> She's fine. Superman then decides to mess with Jackson and the mayor some more. He attaches them to a plane (laughs) midair on the wheels, and he's like, when this plane lands, you're going to be crushed to death. So he says basically death or confession. They choose confession wisely. And Jackson says that he murdered the man in the subsidiary corporation, and the mayor says that he grafted, which whatever that means. But we know that the mayor is up to no good, so it's all right. So he takes those guys to jail. Lois, meanwhile, um, she's apparently more hurt than they realize. So she needs a blood transfusion. Clark says that they can test his blood to see if it's his type. Now, because his skin is unpenetrable, as we established in the first story, <laughs> the doctors can't do anything about it. So Superman – so Clark I, – I call him Superman, but he, he he's, he's, he's in Clark mode here. He goes off somewhere to, like, break his own skin. They get the blood. I have to ask though, like, what? What did the doctors think when he just came back? Here's my blood. Like, did they not say, like, wait, who extracted that for you? Or like, what? 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 Or yeah. like, did, were the doctors not suspicious that they weren't the ones to extract the blood? Like, it's. And then, of course, you know, the blood transfusion happens, which. In later stories, including, like, multiple issues of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, and even one Golden Age story, like, a blood transfusion from Superman gives you superpowers. Here it just makes Lois feel stronger than ever. And then, continuing her out of character in this, she tells Clark that, like, she, that, you have my eternal gratitude, Clark. I'll never forget that your blood saved my life. Like, why is she so nice to him in this story? What's going on? <laughs> and and I'm sure she'll be eternally grateful until the next issue when he's like when he acts like a coward you know when like four giant dinosaurs almost tear him in from him like <laughs> Clark Kent if you don't stand up to those man-eating creatures that are 300 feet tall you're a coward and I hate cowards <laughs>
3: yeah
1: um. <sighs> but yeah that's the end of the story <laughs> oh
0: I have I think even less notes for this one than I did for uh, the last one um Page three, Clark – Clark gives up on the story pretty easily, don't you think? I mean Taylor just says, well, there's no use wasting any more time on it. And he's like, "Okay."
1: (laughs) Clark gives up on the story. Taylor gives up on the story. (laughs) Taylor, like – this is – that's a big – like, I don't want to say national tragedy, but definitely a citywide tragedy, like a – apartment store opening and then like and then the, the guy and then the head of the company's mysteriously murdered follow that lead who cares about a stadium did, did they buy ad space on the daily planet or something i mean it, it's for a convenience of plot i get it well, I yeah get yeah it. but <laughs> I, I i just find it funny in a in a modern day context
0: uh page four uh Yes, Lois, Clark should go punch the guy Because resorting to physical violence Is always the first course of action <sighs> Pages 5 and 6 um, Just more comments here about uh, Superman's movements Because he's clearly not flying at all I mean, he's leaping around He's bouncing off the, the, uh, the flagpole to, to propel himself to the air It's very cool to see that But it's interesting in light of the earlier stories From the issue where he was very much flying um page nine, we've got more naming issues. Uh the, the the mayor's name is Mayor Mr. I'm sorry?
1: His name is Mr. Mayor. No, I thought they gave him a name. Mayor. Oh, I I don't know. I didn't I I missed oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Page page nine at the top, they call him Mayor Hansen. But in a previous story they introduced Mayor Carlisle. Which was so maybe his name is Hanson Carlisle going by the rule we established earlier I don't know
1: I would uh, just assume that it's a different mayor because mayors switch yeah it could be uh, page 13 and this guy obviously won't be mayor by the end of the <laughs> after this issue <laughs> right oh that reminds
0: me grafting grafting is like getting money illegally like through like using your power to um, extort money from people that's what, that's okay. what grafting is uh, but page 13 I thought this was kind of a cool moment uh with with Clark or Superman giving Lois a blood transfusion. What I found interesting was that it says his blood conforms to all four types. Now, given that Superman is an alien, he shouldn't be able to give blood to Lois, but I've speculated on some recent episodes that I wondered if Siegel didn't see Kryptonians as being physically no different than Earth people, just just more evolved. And if that's true... Then I think they'd be able to give blood. I mean, it doesn't explain how the blood would conform to all known blood types, which is ridiculous. But in the context of the story, you know, evolution could make a man able to shrug off cannon fire. So I can I guess I can buy the blood thing too, but
1: Well, I think that that was the original explanation for Kryptonians was that they were just more evolved than humans. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I I seem to remember that being the thing. Um, that they said in either the newspaper strip or Superman or Action Comics one.
0: Right, they, they've used that explanation and then they've also introduced the idea that Krypton was a Different larger gravity. planet than, yeah, the gravity difference, yeah. Uh, but either way it's it's a, I think a, an interesting moment in Superman's history. Uh, but that's all I had. I enjoyed this story more than the last one, but I just, just didn't have much to say about it. Um, it wasn't a bad story. You know, we, we had good action and an actual story, and, and the mission was very fitting. Again, like the last one you synopsized, with Superman as champion of the oppressed. But I just didn't have much to say beyond that. Um, if you're interested in reading it, this one's actually been reprinted three times first in Superman Archives Volume 2, and then in Superman Chronicles Volume 4, and also in World's Best Comics The Golden Age Sampler. This was a 99 cent book that came out in 2003, and it contained one story each featuring Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Plastic Man, and was produced basically to advertise the archive editions. Why this particular story was chosen for Superman, I don't know. It does seem like a very classic Golden Age Superman story. You know, we had Lois in trouble and Clark doing his reporter thing. Superman doing a number of feats, uh, and like I said, it fits with his mission in this era. Um, so, I guess as a sample of the stories you'll get in the earliest archives, this serves pretty well. Anymore? Yeah,
1: most of my notes are pretty much what I uh, said in the recap, but uh, just reading all four of these stories because I don't know if we close. If we it, do, you have like kind of a close, like a closing look back on all four stories or anything type thing, or we just um. go.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I like I said, I've read very limited Golden Age Superman, but I've read enough Golden Age Superman to get an understanding of it. But without reading it and not like more stories, of, like in multiple sittings, it, like I knew that Superman stories were like this, but seeing it in action is is a different thing. And it's some of these stories are more like you know old Batman stories than what you would expect from a Superman story. Uh-huh. And it's and it's interesting how they evolved. And then like one thing I noticed too is that um. Very rarely in these old stories does Superman um, feel like he's in any danger. Like, there's never any worry. Like, most of it is, like, like, he takes the villains and he bullies them and he attaches them to the planes. Very rarely is there something that's a threat for him which I find interesting but another thing is and I know that they're trying to kind of get back to this in the modern Superman too. this is very much like like this whole social crusader thing with all the Occupy Wall Street and the disappearing of the middle class and the 99% stuff going on today like a lot of this stuff is really relevant and if DC Comics found a way to play up the current Superman as kind of the social crusader but without doing it in a way to come off as an obnoxious Occupy Wall Street knockoff yeah it, 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 I think it would help for a lot of people who have this modern day perception of Superman as someone who's dated and behind the times and uninteresting. Because this is actually some interesting stuff. I mean, my the only thing that I that I think is missing from some of these stories, like is, um, like I said, there's no threat for Superman. He, you you never feel like he's in any danger except for when the guy falls down the stairs.
0: Yeah, and we have we have had a story or two where. There has been some threat to Superman. If you go back and read the first Luthor story from Action Comics number I think it was the first Luthor story from Action Comics number twenty three. That one we had Luthor menacing Superman with this like uh, I forget what the, what the ray was called, but some kind of giant ray. But you're right, there there isn't a lot of threat to Superman in these early stories. It's mostly just him going around and and dealing with thugs and racketeers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Other features and ads in the book. We have, like all the Superman issues to this point, a, a really great frontispiece. The art is by Paul Cassidy, and it shows an image of Superman running towards the reader. Above him we see the, the Superman logo, and credit to Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, of course. And a banner below touts that he is America's greatest Adventure Strip character. And surrounding that image are, are a half dozen other images showing you know, Superman doing super feats, including... Stopping two trains, uh, crashing through a roof, and throwing an elephant. Because throwing elephants is something that Superman should do, I guess. Uh, we also have the, the Big Six ad that we've seen before, as well as a half-page ad for Batman number 2, and another for All-Star Comics and Mutton Jeff. There's a full-page ad for Action Comics featuring, quote, Superman and a raft of other headline adventures every month. And there is the half-page radio ad, which we've seen before. We also have a really great-looking feature on super strength that was illustrated by Jack Burnley, which explains why it looks so good. And it talks about exercises kids can do to build their muscles, including pull-ups and swimming. And last but not least, we have our 14th Superman of America page. Our message from Superman talks about how building and preserve energy is good and, and a key part of strength, which is one plank in the club's motto of strength, courage, and justice. And he goes on to talk about how physical exercise helps kids build up that reserve energy and how they should do that in order to better themselves. Yes, fellow members, reserve energy is a wonderful thing. And I'm sure that if the Superman of America abide by their motto of strength – courage and justice, we will always be called true Americans. And the page also has Superman's... Until you
1: renounce your citizenship. <laughs> Which, by the way, that. that whole thing was got blown out of proportion. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I did a special episode talking about that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, part of it, yeah. But, um... The page also has Superman's secret message, which can be decoded using code Saturn, which is number five on our Superman of America Club decoder. And the message is always remember to play fair and live honestly, then the rewards of life will be yours. Uh, But this issue came out the same month as Action Comics number 28. So I will cover other comics that came out around that time when I look at that story, which at the moment is scheduled for episode 71.
3: December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A
2: world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will
3: live... In infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together
2: the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis
3: powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The, the All-Star Star Squadron, Squadron. Squadron.
2: The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com.
0: Well, Josh, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on the show. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm glad you yeah. got to explore through the Golden Age Superman a little more.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, this was some fun stuff. This is a side of Superman that I don't get to see too often, and we uh, uh, had a good time. Sorry it took us a little while to get here. I know I was supposed to be on a while ago, but uh, we kind <laughs> yeah. of fell through.
0: Schedules, schedules conflict. That, that's understandable, um, but I, it's interesting. I think the Golden Age is one of those – maybe not overlooked, but a lot of people are more familiar with the – the, how he was depicted in the silver age and the bronze age and, and even the modern age that if they would go back and look at these stories they would just see a radically different take on the character so you know it's interesting uh why don't you let the folks know where they can find your podcasts and anything else you've got going online
1: okay well let's see um to sum it all up um I'm going to do podcasts that are currently out because there are ones, like I said, in various states of hiatus and comebacks. Um, I do feel safe enough to advertise Clone Saga Chronicles, though, because uh, we kind of had to disappear for a while because we started out on Manic and switching to... Uh, uh, basically, uh, oh, what, I guess it's, the server was Fat Cow, that's com had, we had to transfer the old episodes, and it, it was a, it was a fiasco, but the new episodes are now being released, and we've had enough new ones released, and in the can that I can now say, yes, I'm on Clone Saga Chronicles with Gerard Delator, Zach SpideyDude Joiner, and Donovan Grant. Uh, we cover the Clone Saga era Spider-Man, I'm also on Spider-Man Crawl Space with, uh, a whole brady bunch cast of people too many to mention um that's every month at spidermancrawlspace.com dot com, and that looks at modern spider-man news and stories and that's a very fun show and it's um a pot- one of the first comic book podcasts that i ever listened to so i was really happy when i finally uh climbed my way into that show i had to first be a contributor on the message board and then uh an occasional guest host on uh, the other shows that they did and then fly the california to get stanley to bless the birth of brad douglas's child
3: <laughs> <Exalcio>. oh.
1: <laughs> i kid you not that's what i had to do and then and then and, and even then i was only offered an occasional guest spot which uh, to something else um pertonia beetle bonanza which is my show that's almost eight years old but uh it doesn't have eight years worth of episodes because of all the hiatuses where i cover uh I cover basically Beatles every week. You know, just play Beatles songs, talk about Beatles news and trivia. It's uh, my other fandom and a show that I greatly enjoy doing. Um, Is that all of my regular shows? I think it might be. If I'm missing one and I'm insulting someone that I do a show with, sorry. It's uh, But, yeah, I guess that's it.
0: All right. Well, as for this show, I want to thank you all for listening. Next week I'll be by myself again for a look at the 12th storyline from the Superman radio show. Before then, please remember to stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for show notes, back episodes, and links to Josh's shows. At the site, you will also find the RSS feed and the iTunes link if you want to subscribe to the show. The show is also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, You can follow the show on either site to get updates whenever I have new episodes or other show-related news. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for the show, please feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. Please don't forget to stop by the Superman homepage, as well as the Superman Podcast Network. Whenever I have a new episode out of the show, notices are posted on both sites, and you'll find all sorts of other Superman content in between. Last but not least, I hope you'll check out my other podcasts, if you haven't already. First is Legends of the Batman, where Michael Kaiser and I are covering everything Batman from the beginning. We are just an episode or so away from uh, finishing up our coverage of 1940, and then we'll start on 1941, which, if it's anywhere uh, as big as 1940, you definitely want to get on board now. And then there is Green Lantern's Light, where J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, and I are looking at Green Lantern comics. And we're actually heading into a really exciting time on that show as well, as we barrel headfirst into Crisis and in Infinite Earths and beyond so please check it out as always Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and his copyright DC Comics Josh thank you again
1: oh no problem thank you for having me on
0: and to the rest of you thanks for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman and I will talk to you later
1: Goodbye. I don't know if that's your theme song, but it makes me think of Golden Age Superman. And I imagine it at the end of every Golden Age story. Do, 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 do. Synopsis for the story, and that previous synopsis says, Racketeer terror, grim, ruthless, descends upon Peachable Gaston, Gast, oh, Gaston, yeah, Gatestown, or Gaest, how are we pronouncing this? I think it's Gateston. Okay. Yeah. Upon upon Peachable Gateston, beating, bombing, face businessmen who refuse to be intimidated by evil, brute Bashby, into setting up barges. The foe of all into setting, oh, in man, they they need to stop going off for – Okay, let me let me read that last <laughs> sentence again. Men who re- do you have a blooper reel in this show? I can make one. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Hello, blooper reel. <laughs> Men who refuse to be intimidated by evil brute Bashby into this setup barges the foe of all injustice, Superman.
3: All I can think of when I
1: look at her is,
3: I don't want to wait for lives to be over. I want to know right now what will it be.